I want to I want to ask you a question. When I say the word revenge, what do you think about? Don't answer out loud. But when I say the word revenge, what do you think about? Or better yet, when I say the word revenge, who do you think about? Now we're getting close to the home, right? Who is that person when you're driving in your car, you just start fantasizing about turning your SUV and just kind of just taking them out, man? You say, we're in church. I don't have such godless thoughts. Well, I'll be honest. I do sometimes, all right? Or, or who is that person that you're just like, man, I just want to do this to them. And I just, man, I just want them to see what I'm really made of. And I just want to, man, I hope they get fired. I hope they get let go. And, and, and we have these, these thoughts, these revenge thoughts. But let's go a step further. Why do we feel this desire to get revenge? Because revenge is because of a hurt that they may have caused or a betrayal that they've led us to. And maybe this morning you're saying, yeah, I've been there. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. I've been offended. I've been, and this is a deep word, I've been betrayed. And the hardest thing about betrayal is the fact that it never comes from somebody that you don't know. Betrayal never comes from somebody that you just met. It always comes from somebody that you trusted. That's what makes betrayal so hurtful. But how do we deal with that? I mean, hey, just for the sake of uh, of illustration, how many of you, you've ever been hurt, offended, or betrayed? Raise your hand. Now, those of you that couldn't raise your hand, just live a little bit longer. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because we've been through things and we rub shoulders with people who do not act and live as they should. So maybe you have not been betrayed, but it is coming. This is not to scare you. This is to show you. This is to arm you. This is to help you. How should you deal with it? Hey, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why didn't I see it coming when you're betrayed? I mean, you start thinking back over and your mind's like, the signs were there. He was cheating the whole time. She was in love with that person. That business partner was taking money the whole time. That person never, uh, I never should have gone on that venture with that person. The signs were there. How did I miss it? Why did this happen to me? And I did some studying this week. And if we were to study the word um, betrayal, in the Greek, it comes from the word skandalazio, which is the same word as scandal, which means to set a trap. You see, the reason you didn't see it coming is because that's how betrayal works. It's just like they set a trap. Now, everyone knows a good trap is one that you cannot detect. So this morning, don't beat yourself up. My goal is not to say, hey, let's peel back that wound. Let's take that wound. Let's just kind of reopen it. Let's get some Epsom salt and just rub it in there. That's not my goal this morning. My goal is to say, okay, we've been hurt. We've been wounded. We've been betrayed. And I don't want you to give in to revenge. Because I want you to understand this morning that revenge always is going to leave you singed. There's the singe of revenge. And so this morning, we're going to look at Job, and how does he deal with it? Because offense is an event. Offended is a choice. It is a decision you and I make. 
To say, okay, that person did hurt me. That person did wrong. That person betrayed me. But how am I going to respond to it? That's up to us. And we're going to look at the life of Job. And we're going to see how he responded. Because Job was this great guy. And if you're just joining with, with us, you picked up at a great time. This is going to be a great message. And I'm excited to bring it to you. But we're in chapter 42. We've studied the book of Job. Job starts off. He's got children. He's got wealth. He's got family. The Bible says he's the greatest man in the East. And in one day, he loses all 10 of his children. And one day he loses all of his wealth. And in one day he loses his health. Everything is taken from this man in one day. And then the scripture says that he has three friends that come. There's actually a fourth one, but it says three of them were his friends that they came to comfort him. Their comforting was, well, God killed your children because they were doing something wrong. So that's why God killed them. And uh, you're probably hiding an affair. You're probably doing something wrong. And uh, uh, God's judging you for that joke. Great friends, right? When you're going through something, these are kind of friends you you don't want actually. And so these are the type of friends that they came to Job and they for um, scripture records 10 conversations they had with Job and never once are they saying, hey Job, we're here. Hey Job, what can we do for you? Hey Job, you're sick. Hey Job, you're hungry. Hey Job, you, you need help. How can we rebuild your family? How can we rebuild your home? Never once did they do that. They just kept picking and picking and pulling him down, pulling him down. Matter of fact, Job even says that in in a very nice Middle Eastern way, their hospitality is well known. And he said, you know, ye are of no comfort to me. That's a nice way of saying, hey, you're a bunch of jerks. Why are you trying to do this? But I want you to see his reaction. It would be very easy to get revenge and say, I want to get even with these guys. But notice what Job does. Let's pick it up in verse 1. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen, or it'll be in your worship guide, or you can follow along your Bible, or you can just stare at me. That's fine, all right? But can we stand out of respect for the word of God? We're going to stand just for a moment. Begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from you. Who is he that hath counsel without knowledge? And therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech you, I will speak, I will demand of you and declare thou unto me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And it was so, and after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliaphaz the Timonite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the things that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. So Eliaphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamite went and did according to the, as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. In verse 10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. And catch this, when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Verse 12, so the Lord blessed the end of Job's life more than the beginning. Isn't that awesome? And that's what we all want, up and to the right. Every business you want to end of the year, we grew and our profits are up. Every family this year wants to say, you know what? Our family grew closer and we got money in the bank. Everybody wants to be up and to the right. Even though Job went through a rough patch, this is where we want to end. That here he was, that God blessed him, that God took care of him. And the end of his life had more than his beginning. But how did he get there and how can we learn from that this morning? So as we dive into this message, I need you to find the best looking person next to you 
and say, this is going to be a good message. Find the best looking person next to you and say, this is going to be a good message. Okay. The best looking person. Hopefully some of you that were single just got a date. All right. And once you did that, find a seat, find a seat. I'm offended. Nobody came up to me. Oh, sympathy, sympathy. Oh, there we go. That's right. I got one. I got one. Welcome to Southridge. We are glad that you're here. Today's message entitled The Singe of Revenge. Some of you are waiting on God to turn things around. You are faced with a situation, a trial, a setback, and you're sitting there, you're staring out, and you're saying, when will it end? I've been there. I've asked myself the same question. I've asked God the same question. Hey, God, when is this going to end? When are you going to turn my situation around? When are you going to take this thing out of my life? When are you going to heal me? God, when are you going to give me uh, the finances that I need? God, when are you going to provide that job? When are you going to work that relationship out? God, when is it going to happen? And we all are sitting there. We all have a when that we're asking God about. I don't care if it's a small thing or a big thing. Megan keeps asking Jane and I, when are you guys going Christmas shopping? Like today would be a great day. When is this going to happen? And so you and I, we have a when that we're praying for. And I love the fact that it took Job 42 chapters. And the Bible says that when he prayed, that God turned things around. It wasn't before he prayed. It was when he prayed. Now you need to understand something. Job has been betrayed by his friends. It's very hard to love and to pray for somebody that has hurt you deeply. And I'm not going to minimize that. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, Christians, you just go pray for every bad person. That's the message. God bless. Go eat turkey. See you next Sunday. Now, that is the gist of the message. But let's, let's kind of put some more to it than that. Because if that were all it was, you and I would be saying, I, I can't do that. I can't go to that person who hurt me so deep. I can't go to them and pray for them because you got to understand the Bible says that God was going to judge and old school word, his wrath, his anger was going to be poured out against Job's three friends. It's interesting that Job, that God says to these three friends, he says to them, he says, you there, he mentions the fact that they, they weren't acting like Job's friends. And he says, my wrath is going to be poured out. Hey, you need to offer some bulls. You need to offer some sacrifice. You need to go do this because you've done wrong. It would have been really easy for Job to say, forget it. I'm not praying for you. Because God told the friends, hey, if Job will pray for you, I'll take that wrath away. If, if, if Job will intercede for you, if Job will get down on his knees, if Job will say, God, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. I'll hear Job's prayer. But God wasn't going to hear their prayer. So my question for you is, what circumstance are you saying, God, when are you going to turn it around? When God's saying, hey, when are you going to let go of that thing? When are you going to, when are you going to pray for that person? When are you going to do what they don't deserve? And I know betrayal causes us to overexamine the cause of betrayal. You've been betrayed, so you go back through and you say, why did that person left me? Or why did my relative hurt me like that? Or why did that friend abandon me? And why did that person do that to me after all we had been through? And so we start asking ourselves these questions. But I need you to reflect back on scripture. Jesus was betrayed by two of his closest friends. The most uh, well-known is the betrayal of Judas. And matter of fact, Judas betrayed Jesus by giving him a kiss. Could there be any other betrayal? And Jesus even says to Judas, right up to the last minute, he says, friend, why are you come here? Giving Judas one last moment to stop what he was doing. But even to the end, Jesus said, my friend, what are you doing? 
Not only that, Peter, who Peter said with the sword, I will not leave you. I will fight the gates of hell for you, Jesus. I will take any mountain that you want to take. We will conquer. And where was Peter when it came time for Jesus to be offered up on the cross? Nowhere to be seen. So we can overexamine betrayal. David was betrayed by Ahithophel. Uh, Jesus, we see, was betrayed. Paul was betrayed. And we can overanalyze the betrayal. And that's not my goal. My goal is to say, what do we do now that we're betrayed? What do we do now that we're wounded? Now that we're hurt? Now that we feel vulnerable? Because uh, psychologists say that betrayal and death have the same result. They leave us with shock. And they also leave us feeling vulnerable. That we're just kind of like, my world has been rocked. Like, if that person can hurt me, who can I trust now? If that spouse would leave me like that, who can I trust? If that boss who I, I thought, this is a great company, I gave him 15 years of my life, if they could betray me, then, then maybe God would betray me. See, betrayal leaves us like that. And betrayal has left some of you very cynical, some of you very negative. And this morning, I want to call you back, and I want to I give you some hope this morning. I want to call you out of your negativity. I want to call you out of your cynicism. I want to call you back to where you were almost that point where you said, I want my innocence back again. I want to be back at that point where things I could trust people. And I want to get there. But before we do that, we've got to at first surrender to what is. You say, what do you mean surrender to what is? You cannot change the past. So let's surrender to what is now. In verse number six, Job uses some kind of crazy language. He says, I repent in dust and ashes. Now you and I, we don't like that word repent. I certainly don't like it. Seems really strong. But can I break that word down for you? It just means to change your mind. That's all it really means. To have a shift in our thinking. Anybody know how to drive a manual here? Yes. That's real driving, okay? If you've never driven a manual, you've never really driven, okay? A manual is, is what real people drive cars. If you have a manual, if you don't know how, I don't want to teach you. Maybe somebody else wants to teach you. But it is fun to drive a manual. But here's the thing about a manual, if you don't know this. You have to shift to go to the higher gear so you can pick up speed. You can't just stay in first gear. And trust me, you've seen that person where you're like, what is, where is that smoke coming from? Where the sparks, somebody's grinding out of that gear. They didn't know that, hey, don't stay in first or second gear the entire time. And so it's true with a car as it is in life. Some of you are saying, hey, how come I'm not going forward? How come spiritually I, I haven't grown beyond this point? How come even in my job, in my career, my relationship, I'm not able to shift beyond this point? Because you cannot accept what is. And you are not surrendering to what is. Yes, you've been hurt. You've been scarred. There's a wound there. There's a scar there. It's never going to change. It's never going away. And I'm sorry you hurt. And I'm sorry people have hurt you. And I'm sorry you have a scar. And I'm sorry you have this story that's now part of you that you wouldn't wish on anybody. And I hurt for you. The more I get to know you, the more I hear your stories. The more you meet people, everybody's got a story that would just break you. Some of your stories, they just wreck me. And I think, who could be so cruel? As I look out at an auditorium full of people, good people, and I think, why would anybody want to do something so mean and cruel to you? And I'm sorry about that. But this morning, I need you to hear me. I need you to surrender to what is. I need you to have a shift in your thinking. I need you to shift from pain to purpose. Because it's easy to just stay in your pain. It's easy to just say, I just hurt, so I guess I'm just always going to hurt. 
And Job had that same feeling. He wanted to wallow in his own pain. What did he do after he lost his children and his wealth? He went out to the trash heap. He tore off his clothes. He poured dust and ashes, shaved his head, and he was sitting at the dump, and he just wanted to die there. And some of you, that's what you want to do around the holidays. You're saying, I got time off. I'm just going to go find a corner. You all be happy, celebrate, bah humbug. I'm going to be over here with my eggnog and just leave me alone. And I want to call you out of that because God tells Job something. What did he tell him? Job, I need you to pray for somebody. What was he telling Job? Job, I need you to take that pain and I need you to pour it into a purpose. And this morning, I want you to take your pain and I want you to really kind of disconnect yourself from it for a second. And I want you to examine your pain, not as part of you, but as something you're going to use. And I need you to look at that pain and say, I am going to recycle this. I'm going to recycle that abuse. I'm going to recycle that dead relationship. I'm going to recycle that lost job. I'm going to recycle that failure. And I'm going to pour it into some purpose where God can get some glory. And God is telling Job, hey, all that pain, I need you to use it. I need you to write a message down that's going to encourage Christians down through a millennia. I need you to recycle it. And this morning, I want you to shift your thinking and to pour your pain into some purpose that God has for you. You need to give your trial a task. See, God gave Job a job. And Job decided, I'm going to complete that task. I'm going to pray for my friends. And God said, once you do that, I'm going to turn things around. Because if you don't, you're letting fear steal that focus. And you're letting fear rob you what could be. You need to shift from pain to purpose. You also need to shift from prayer to praise you say it's super hard right now to praise God and I know I know you know I I realized this week why God wanted me to wait two weeks to preach this message because he wanted me to wear this message this week he wanted me to incarnate it he wanted me to feel the full weight of a betrayal and I'll be the first one to tell you that to go from praying is one thing but then to go to start praising God is the hardest thing ever. It's so hard when you're thinking of somebody who has hurt you so deeply and you go to your knees and you fall down and you're thinking, I can't really pray that God would have mercy on him. I'm kind of asking God to pull another Sodom and Gomorrah and just kind of send some fire from heaven. I'm kind of asking God, would you just let a meteor land on their house? Like just one, not real big, don't blow up the whole planet, just not even the block, just their house. Maybe just a little one, just kind of knock them on the head or something. But then, as I found personally, the more I went to pray for them, praise was just on my lips. Praise just started to fill me up. Praise was just in my heart. Praise was just there conquering my fear. Praise was just going to work on the enemy. Praise was just in my atmosphere. It was just elevating me above the problem because the more I went to pray, and trust me, this week has been a lot of prayer. This week has been a lot of times where I'm just saying, all right, Lord, I'm feeling this right now. So I'd go and I'd beg God, Lord, I'm not praying for me. I'm going to start praying for them because they've got to be going through something so bad if they've got to betray people like this. If they could do that, they must be really hurting. And the more I prayed for that person, guess what God started doing to my own heart? My own heart began to heal. My own emotions began to heal. I began to see hope. I began to see light. I began to see that God is going to do something in the middle of this betrayal so you've got to shift from prayer to praise and some of you you're great at praying 
And you'll even tell me, hey, I'm praying about this. You'll even tell me how much you pray about it and how much you struggle with this. And I'm telling you this morning, it's time to let that prayer shift to some praise. You say, but it hasn't happened. I've got nothing to praise God about. And I know that. And I know it seems like it's difficult. But praise is more of a mindset than it is a reality. You say, what do you mean a mindset? How come we can go to a third world country and we could find children with big smiles on their faces who are in absolute poverty? I mean, they, they, they don't have two pennies to rub together. They have nothing. And you've watched the videos. I've watched the videos. And you go and you see these children and they're so happy. And then they'll get a pair of used shoes. And they're amazed. It's their first pair of shoes and they love them. Give them a pair of socks. You send them a little care package. These kids have so much joy. You know, we in America, we've got so much. And you would think that that would equate our happiness. But happiness is a mindset. And it's not based on how well things are going. It's on on how well I'm letting Christ do a work in me. Because Christ wants to do the work in me. Then he wants to do a work through me. And then he'll do a work around me. Because that's what happened with Job. Did you see it? First, God says, hey, Job, I got to change your heart. I got to change your life. I'm going to do a work inside of you, but then I want to do a work through you because you got to pray for these friends. And once you do, do that work through you, guess what? I'm going to change everything around you. Some of you, you want the exact opposite. You go into an argument, you go into a relationship, and you say, hey, I will change. I will change when God changes everything around me. God, when you give me my brand new Bentley in the garage. God, when you give me my 3,000 square foot home overlooking the golf course. God, when you give me the yacht. God, when you get me to that country club, when my kids get into that school, when I have that position, when I have that raise, then guess what, God? I'll go to church, I'll serve, I'll read, I'll pray, I'll do all those things. And guess what? It never happens. It's always the exact opposite. God says, first, I'm gonna work on you. And once I work on you, then I wanna use you. And then once I use you, guess what? I'm gonna start changing stuff around you. So this morning, I need you to switch your mentality. I need you to shift because your life is not going at, you're not, you're not firing on all eight cylinders. And it's because you're not shifting. Job said, I repent of my thinking. He had that shift. And lastly, he shifted from problems to peace. You say, how do we know that? Later in this passage, the Bible says he restores his family. He gives him more children. He was 70 years old and God gives him 10 more children. Doesn't that give you some hope, some of you guys? You're like, what? 10 more? I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to go have a little operation, a little snip. And uh, some of you are like, we're at church. I know. I'm sorry. We're family. It's okay. So I don't need 10 more. But he names one of his daughters Jemima. That's a real hot name. Come on, some of you that are expecting some babies. Come on, Jemima. Just kind of put that out there. Don't just put a pin in it. Just save it. You maybe. All right, we'll think about it. You know what Jemima means? It means dove. You know what dove represents throughout scripture? Peace. Peace. What do we all want? Peace. What are we all so desperate for? Peace. What does the Bible say to pray for? Peace. And Job named his daughter Peace. He said, I have it. From my problems went from problems to now I have peace. And that's where the shift comes in this morning. But not only do, but for all that to happen, I have to surrender to what is this morning. Not only surrender to what is, I have to let go of what was. Surrender to what is, but let go of what was in your life. Yes, what was was used to have a perfect, flawless relationship. 
What was, you did have a great job. What was is, yes, you were healthy and strong. What was is, yes, you had a family that wasn't sick. What was is, yes, you were able to do great things. What was is all these things, and you name it, and your list could go on and on and on, all these things that you used to be able to do. And you're still holding on to it. You're like that person that way back in college, back when I was in college, I was all pro, all American. I was all this and all that. And you're thinking, you've never left that. You still wear your Letterman jacket everywhere. Please wash that thing. It smells like a cat. And you're just thinking they're living in the past. They never let go of it. Or there's that person, every time you see them, they're always going to talk about the same story. How they have mommy issues. They got daddy issues. And they've got the same problem. And you've known them for 10 years and they've got the same problem. And you're thinking, what, what's the, something's wrong with this. They're constantly holding on. So you have to let go of what was. And notice I love this, verse number 7. You see, the Bible says that in verse number six, he repented, shifted his thinking. And then verse number seven, and it was so. I saw that this morning. I was like, and it was so. Once his thinking changed, he was then able to let go of some things. And it was so. It was just, that's it. For you this morning, I pray that this morning would just be that day. You just say, okay, and it was so. I, I just let it go at that moment. Yeah, all that hurt, all that pain. So now the next time I see them, I'm not thinking, I'd love to just ram them with my shopping cart. I'm just going to pick up this can of cranberries and just, man, I'm going to chuck this thing like a quarterback and hopefully it hits them or something. Or when you see them around, you're not thinking hateful thoughts. You're thinking, you know what? I've got this peace. I've let it go. You see, to relive is a choice. To remember is a choice. Offense is an event. Offended is a choice. What choices are you making? But how do we handle the hurt that we feel, though? You see, you need to stop holding on to that hurt that you feel. We're going to play a little game real quick. And it's called Name That Song. And I hate to do it to you, but once we change to the next slide, I think it's the next slide. Is it the next one? All right. Once you got the song, just shout it out. Go for it. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. I'm sorry to do that to you. You're like, I didn't come to church. You're frozen. I get enough of that. I've got little girls at home. I got enough frozen. Did you know this about frozen? That song was submitted 17 times and 16 times it was rejected originally the princess i don't know if it's elsa or anna whatever one i think it's elsa that was singing this song she's actually supposed to be the bad guy at that point she was supposed to be the bad guy and she was going to turn into the evil ice queen that's what she was supposed to do the original script that's what they had down for her character but once they found this song on the 17th submission they said this song just changed the entire movie If a song can change an award-winning movie that we are still like, please stop, like go away, not let it go, just go away. Can we write that song? Go away, go away. And, And the whole key was let it go. It changed the movie. They said it made the movie. One song made that movie. Could you imagine the potential in this room if we were to let things go? You say, I just can't let it go what my boss did, that person did. They hurt my child. They hurt me. I just can't let that go. I can't let them off after what they did. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know the damage they caused in my family. We were innocent. We didn't do anything. I know. That's 
betrayal. You didn't do anything wrong. You were betrayed. But you got to let it go. Because you will never move on from what was. You will never grow. So stop holding on to the hurt. Stop holding on to it. The Bible said in Psalms, and David, the psalmist, was betrayed, and he prayed this, and I love what he said in verse 22, Psalms 55, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Matter of fact, he goes on, but thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. He says, God will judge them. God will bring them down. So don't hurt them. And I know it's easy to say, I want to get revenge. I want to get even Stephen. I want to take them down. But it's time to say, you know what? I'm not going to hold on to the hurt. I'm going to help them. I'm not going to hurt them. You say, what do you mean help them? How can I help them? Your feelings are going to want to retaliate. But you need to restore. The Bible says, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all. But then I went to Matthew chapter number five, and the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. He goes on to say in Matthew five, he says, you have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself, and, or and thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Catch this, and pray for them. You say, I can't do that. I can't be that. And I'll be the first one to tell you, neither can I. We're not enough for that situation. There's something in the situation that we don't have the capacity to. But Jesus on the cross, as he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He resides inside of you. And he faced the ultimate betrayal. And if he, at that ultimate moment could forgive and he lives inside of you he will help us to make sure that restoration happens now i am not saying bring that person who may have physically abused you sexually abused you back into your life no jesus god puts accountability god said no no job your friends are going to stand accountable there still needs to be accountability all right i'm not saying hey we're just now buddy buddy with that person that hurts you but i'm saying we go to that person and we regardless I've had a conversation with people that have wronged. You try to confront them, and you do it in a very Christ-honoring way where you say, hey, I'm going to bring somebody with me. We're going to try to show them that what they did was wrong, see if they will make it right. If they won't, we've said our peace. I cannot change them. So at that point, you go to that person. You say your peace. You say, look, I want to deal with this the right way. I want to see if there's an opportunity here. Maybe you didn't mean to. Maybe you didn't realize the hurt that you caused. Before we just end this relationship, before we just cut this off completely, I need to give you one more chance. That's what scripture tells me to do. And so I'm trying to do that. And if it's possible, the Bible says, if it's possible. So some of you, you don't even know if it's possible because you've never even taken that effort. So I'm saying this morning, if you will try, you'll say, hey, I'm just going to see if it's possible. And then I'm going to pray for that person, but still holding them accountable. You just just don't invite a robber back in your home that stole from you, somebody that hurts you. And there's a lot of people, we just kind of think, well, it's the loving thing to do. No, I think it's been going around and it's actually a pretty good statement. We lock our homes, not because we hate the people outside of it. We lock our homes because we love the people inside. And the stain goes very well with this message that there's just that accountability that you need to have. And so help them, don't hurt them. The Bible says to love them, to pray for them. You see, when we blame somebody, that makes reconciliation impossible. But then I need to leave you with some hope. Not only do I need you to surrender to what is, let go of what was, but I need you to have faith 
in what will be. You see, at the end of this passage, I love what scripture tells us. Scripture says in the very last verse, it says this. So Job died being old and full of days. You say, what do you mean old and full of days? It's exactly what we all want. You see, we are on a hunt for happiness and a search for satisfaction. Every human being is. It's part of the human condition. You are hunting for happiness. Everything you do is about your happiness. You're looking for that perfect job. Why? So that you can have a weekends off. So that you can work from nine to five. So that you can be home with your family. You want that job where you can feel satisfaction, fulfillment. It's about your happiness. And you're trying to find that right spouse, that right person that'll make you happy, fulfilled, and satisfied. You want to drive that car because you feel like that'll bring happiness and satisfaction. You want to work out at that gym and have that body because you want happiness and satisfaction. You want to eat those foods because you want happiness and satisfaction. Everything we do is based on our happiness and satisfaction. And the Bible simply says that Job died being old and full of days. I told my wife, I was like, yeah, I want to get to a certain point and then just push me off a bridge. It's all good. Don't let me get past 80. Like, don't get me past 90. Like, just, uh, you know, don't pull the plug. But, I mean, just kind of make sure it's quick or something. I mean, you know, it's so old. There's things you just can't do. But, I mean, we want to be that old and full of days. We want to see our grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren. We want to see the next generation. Scripture even says that Job got to meet his fourth-generation grandkids. That's what it meant by life was full. You see, today, we have a lot of people whose lives are very full but it's not fulfilled. You met those people? They're busy doing everything. I mean, right now, they're shopping like crazy. They're like, hey, it's the pre, 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 pre Black Friday sale. And I'm getting down on this one. And so they're already at Target. They're already at Best Buy. And they're shopping and they're setting up decorations. Their schedule's so full. They're working overtime. They're going to every party. They're planning every party. And they're so full. But when you talk to them, they're frazzled. They couldn't tell you when they took a shower or brushed their teeth. And their schedule's just crazy. And you're thinking to yourself, this person's schedule's full, but I don't know if they have any fulfillment in life and so here we're seeing this guy job who at the end of his life he had fulfillment he had something where he was thinking this is what it's all about you see this morning but how do we have that how do we get there see i want you to understand though as we close i'm not defined by my wounds i'm defined by god's word you say how do i have faith in what will be When you understand I'm not defined by my wounds. Some of you think that what has happened to you is who you really are. But I love the fact that God continue refers to Job throughout this passage as my servant, my son. And God says, he calls him accepted. He said, this is one I accept. I need you to see a picture of who you are as we wrap this up. Because if you're going to have faith in the future, you need to see who God calls you to be. Who God says, yes, you right now think you are the divorcee. You right now think you are the victim. You right now are looking at yourself as the single. You right now is looking at yourself as handicapped. You're looking at yourself through the eyes of an event, through the eyes of a label. And God says, that's not who you are. You're trying to define yourself based on a wound. And God is saying, I want to call you out of that. I want you to see who I say that you are, who God tells me that I am. That's where I embrace my identity. So I need you to understand, let scripture script your life. Don't you say, hey, I'm just going to be defined what everybody else says and what uh, nature says and what uh, has happened to me, but I'm going to let God define who I am. You see, the word will do a work in your life, but then I need you to understand 
God's love never left us. God's love never left us. What I do with this hole that I fill in my soul, though, you're like, but I still feel empty. I still feel hurt. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, it's probably because you were meant for another world. And that should be it for us believers, us Christ followers. There should be an ache we can't shake. There should be a hole in our soul. Or we say there's got to be more to this life. There's got to be something else that I'm missing. There's got to be something God wants for me. What is it? What is it out there? Because you've tried substances, you've tried relationships, you've tried everything to kind of anesthetize the pain, but nothing has worked. And you're sitting here this morning saying, hey, I've filled this soul and it seems like a bottomless pit. It seems like this never-ending thing that I cannot satisfy. No matter how many people I sleep with, no matter how many drinks I have, no matter how many drugs that I do, no matter how many friends I have on Facebook, no matter what I try to do, nothing fills this hole in my soul. So what do I do with it? And I need you to understand that God's love never left you. And he's calling you back to that. He's saying, yes, you have all that betrayal, all of that hurt, all of that junk that happened to you. And it wasn't right. It was all wrong. But that's where Jesus says, I want to take it. And I want to help you. Because I need you to understand this. God is better at saving than you could ever be at sinning. And he wants to save you. I believe that each one of us have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. That the Bible says that God wants to come and take up a residence inside of you. He wants to come and live inside of you. Not live your life. Live his life in you. To change everything completely. Augustine so wonderfully put it. He says, our souls are restless until they rest in you. And Job found satisfaction. He found peace. He found contentment. All things you and I desire. But he found it in God. He saw that God turned everything around when he prayed. When he said, hey, I'm not going to give in to this singe of revenge. And we this morning, we've got a decision. Are we going to continue to hold on to it? I need you to imagine for a second what our church would look like this holiday season if we gave up holding on to those things. Yeah, I know you may have crazy Uncle Bob who got drunk and set the Christmas tree on fire and now you're upset, but it's time to say, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go. I'm not gonna be upset at this person or that person. So when I see him on Thursday, it's, it's done. So when I see him at Christmas time, I'm, I'm, I, before I'm debating whether or not we're even gonna go there and whether or not we're even gonna bring the kids and I'm gonna teach them a lesson. But what about if we as a church... Decided to let go of some things. Do you think we would have a better Christmas? What about if we as a city, an entire city of a million people, let go of the grudges and the plans for revenge? How many think the crime rate would drop? How many think the murder rate would drop? What if we as a nation, an entire country of 330 million people, decided that we are going to let go of our anger issues. We're going to let go of the resentment. We're going to let go that we were abandoned by our dads and our moms and our relatives and we were hurt and we were abused. What if an entire nation just said, we're going to give that all up. We're going to die to ourselves. What kind of world would this look like? What would it look like if the entire world did it? 
You say, I can't change the world. I know, but you can change you. Offense is an event. Offended is a choice. This morning we have a choice to make. We've all been betrayed. We've all been hurt. But what are we doing about it? I need you to surrender to what is. I need you to let go of what was. And I need you to have faith in what will be. Because we have a God who says, in the end, guys, we win. 10,000 years from now, this won't matter. 10,000 years from now, put it all in perspective. This is really, I don't have my phone, but I got a phone. I, I found this cool feature. I should put it up on the screen. And you can go into your pictures, and I'm going to close with this, church. I promise you, I'm not just showing you, like, crazy pictures. But you can go into all photos, or you, you know how you zoom in at the picture. You see one picture. I'll, I'll zoom. This, Megan likes to take selfies. I know you all can't see it. I'm just going to hold it up. She takes these selfies, and she'll grab my phone and just take a bunch of selfies. And you could see it, but then there's other pictures there, and then you can kind of back out, and you could see all your pictures. You can scroll down and just see all your pictures. And you could see good moments and bad moments in there. You could see, oh, that's when uh, Megan went to the dentist. That was a not-so-good moment. Um, there's when Tala uh, made a mess in our car. We have a dog. There's a happy moments. There's some sad moments. Oh, here's one. We were finding bulletins where people were um, putting goatees on me and uh, uh, the man bun thing. And they put down, like, hipster pastor. They put down Moses pastor. They, they had all kinds. Like, emo, it was hilarious. You got to see it. Um, and we can look at all those. But then you can hit on collections, and it backs out a little bit further. You know, every time I back out, it's a little bit harder to see that memory. But then you can hit on years. I can't even see it anymore. I can't see the hipster pastor. I can't see the dentist visit. I can't see where Tala made the mess in my car. I don't see any of it anymore. What am I trying to say? A hundred years from now, as we sit in the glory and awesomeness of heaven, whether it was cancer, whether it was divorce, whether it was a car accident, whether it was a deep betrayal where you lost your job, it won't matter. 10,000 years from now, it still won't matter. And I'm not trying to say what you're going through doesn't matter. I'm trying to give you perspective that 10,000 years from now, we're going to look back on this moment and say it was just that. It was a moment. It was just a, a blink of the eye. And I know some people have told me this year's been a rough year, Pastor. I I had great plans for 2015, but it's been just a really hard year. And I need you to say, you know what? i got five weeks left in this year. And I can't change what's happened to me. I can't change the betrayal. But this is going to be the best five weeks. Because my decision is going to be different. My attitude is going to be different. Because I have to believe in hope. Somebody came to me before the church, and and they were talking to me about the things. And I said, wait a minute, but we got a choice. I can give up ground to the enemy. I can give in to fear and which will steal my focus and it will cloud my judgment. Or I could say, you know what? I got five weeks left. Some of you stopped going to the gym on January 2nd. Guess what? You got five weeks to get back to the gym. Hey, you got five weeks to get back on the diet. You said, no, no, it's the holidays. I'm going to stop. No, no, you got five weeks to get back on that diet. Hey, you got five weeks to finish up your Bible reading plan. Hey, you got five years and five weeks to go back on those dates. You got five weeks to get that honeydew list done. You got five weeks to spend time with your children. You got five weeks to change your world. What are you going to do with it? You say, no, no, I'm just going to wallow and sit on my trash heap. Don't do that. Touch the person next to you and say, don't do that. Don't do that. No, no, you got five weeks. Are we going to sit here and say, hey, I got five weeks. I'm just going to just kind of, you know, do whatever, do my thing, do whatever I do. No. 
hey, I may preach this message. I'm, I'm really going back and forth. I keep thinking, like, we always wait till January to do how to start the year. Great, 2016, best year ever. You know, and I was thinking about one of those message series, and I'm like, wait a minute. Why do we wait till 2016? To then we're going to go to the gym. To then we're going to eat right. And then we're going to spend time with our spouses. Why do we wait? What are you waiting for? What about if we can get a head start? We all like a head start. Hey, aren't you jealous of those people who their parents paid for college and you're like, oh man, I had to pay my own way through. Aren't you jealous of those people that 16, their dad gave them a brand new car and you had to work for your hoopty? Aren't you jealous of those people who, man, they just seemed like they got that nice head start when they got married. They were given like a house and car and kids. They were just given it all when they got married. And you're like, I had to work for everything I had. Why? They had a head start. A head start helps everybody. What if you got a head start in 2016? I know some of you are so cynical right now. I need you to get out of your cynicism. I need you to think, yeah. You know what? I, can, I, I keep saying I was going to run that marathon. I got five weeks extra. I can start training for 2016. Why are you waiting for 2016 to say, I'm going to let go of that revenge. I'm going I'm to get my attitude right. Or I'm going to get my act together. What are you waiting for? What's going to be different about January that's right now that you don't want? Why are you going to wait till the holiday season to rack up huge credit card debt and buy presents for your kids when they don't need more presents? They honestly don't. Go open their garage. Go open their closet. They got plenty of crap they don't know what to do with. But yet you're going to go buy more crap for them, and they're not going to be any happier. They're not going to be any more excited. And I'm, I'm not saying don't do Christmas. I'm just saying, honestly, we got all kinds of stuff, but why are we going to rack up a bunch of bills and think in January and February, that's when I'll deal with it. Hopefully they get a big enough tax return to cover the bills. Why are we doing that to stuff? Why are we telling ourselves, guess what? Tonight at Thanksgiving dinner, I'm eating my own turkey. 26 pounds going right here, baby. Like, really? Why are we going to do that to ourselves? And the thing in January, I'll work that off. You know how much harder it is to work it off? You see, we keep putting these things off. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we delay what we know we should do today? You see, there's hope for the future, but that's just it. We always throw it off in the future. We always say, yeah, there's hope for tomorrow. So I'll start that tomorrow. No, no, no. Today, before you go, some of you need to pull out your phone. End that relationship right now. What are you waiting for? Take that contact, delete. That's a sermon for some of you right now. There you go. Add a message. I won't charge for that one. Some of you right now, you need to say, hey, you know what? This thing is not working out between this person. This business venture is not going well. This is not happening. This is not happening. You just, you know what you need to do, but you're just like, I'll wait. Why are you waiting? You say, you know what? I'll, I'll start that gym membership. Guess what? Right now it's cheaper than it is in January to get a gym membership. I've been at two gyms and they've both been offering me some great deals. And I'm just like, I was hanging out with Sean. It's all his gym. I was like, this is awesome. 80 bucks a month, putting a plug in. He gives me a little commission. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. But if you want to go, I'm just saying, what are we waiting for? Some of you are like, I'm going to really get a closer walk with God in January. Why are you waiting for January? You got five weeks. Let's finish this strong. Can we all stand as we end?